Had to assemble my machine for a start, so I can actually do something here once the guys are sorting it out. This week, first of all, congratulations to all you graduates. Let's put our hands together for all of the graduates who graduated this week. I had the wonderful privilege of hanging out with my son, and who graduated with two degrees, Bachelor of Commerce, Bachelor of Property, and um, I should turn this thing on, it always helps. And um, yeah, it was just an awesome time. You know, we need to celebrate more. I've noticed that. When I was in America, I used to think Americans celebrated way too much. But I think there's something in that. After I got over it, the over-the-topness of the Americans, I thought, you know what? One thing the Kiwi culture could really do with is some more parties. <laughs> some more celebration. Whoops, it's looking for me. Yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming. Take my glasses off. Hello. Yeah, it's got me. Today, I want to carry on with a new part four. Part four in the wonder of mercy. And today I'm going to look at the truth that God will use in your life, Sam, your life. He'll use in your life, Renee, and my life to bring two things, freedom and mercy. Uh, freedom and uh, freedom specifically into our lives and our relationships. So God will use this truth to bring freedom into our lives and our relationships. And it's a truth that mercy brings, and that's called forgiveness. Now, Jesus talked about two sides, one, two, two sides of this truth. The first one you'll recall in what we wrongly call the Lord's Prayer. It is not the Lord's Prayer. That is a misnomer. It is not the Lord's Prayer. It should accurately be called the Disciples' Prayer. Why? Let's pick it up from Matthew 6, 12. If you have your outlines, pull them out right now. It'll be a good time. It says there, for, as, as it continues in the pattern of how we should pray, it says, forgive us our sins or our debts as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now, the Lord couldn't pray that, right? Because he'd never sinned. So it was an example for the disciples. And Jesus taught that mercy brings freedom into our lives in two specific ways. Number one is when we say to God, God, please forgive me. And secondly, the second aspect is when you forgive others or I forgive you. And those two different aspects of forgiveness go hand in hand. They are bound together. There's a whole parable about that, which I'm sure you've read. When the king forgave a lot, and a young servant didn't want to forgive. That's a very sobering parable. I would commend that to you to read if you want to read something stirring this afternoon. So these are the two different aspects of forgiveness, and they go together. Again, you see the principle, not just in one verse, but in another verse I'd like to draw your attention to, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 32. It says, here we are, be kind to one another. First thing. Be tender-hearted, not hard-hearted, forgiving each other. Well, how do I do that? Then he tells us, Paul, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. That is an example of how to do it. How do I forgive exactly the same way that God in Christ forgives me? That is how I'm to forgive another person. Oh, that's hard, right? Anybody want to give a testimony of that one? Very hard. Uh, but let me encourage you here. You will never have to forgive anybody more than Christ has forgiven you. So that should encourage you. 
Now remember, last week we looked at the definition of mercy. And if you haven't pulled out your outline yet, it's on the top of your outline. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. That is what mercy is. Now God does not forgive us because we forgive others. But solely on his great mercy. And as we come to understand his wonderful mercy, we want to be like him. And having received forgiveness, we then will pass it on to others. Those who are unwilling to forgive, those who are unwilling to forgive, are not patterning or following the example of Christ, who is willing to forgive those who even crucified him. And we're going to look at this soon. And who didn't even ask for his forgiveness. Those guys who were nailing to the cross didn't say, oh, oh I know this is going to hurt, but please forgive us. They didn't say that. Notice. So today, God is forgiving us based on what Christ has done for us. Yet, there is an expectation based on, the merc- how, on how merciful God has been to me, that truth number one, mercy means that God wants to forgive me. And that is the best news. Mercy means that God wants to forgive me. God is willing to give you a completely brand new clean slate. He's willing to completely forgive your debt. And it is a debt. And he's willing to completely set you free out of the prison of guilt. Because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now friends, we forget this. This is like getting forgiven a $10 billion mortgage. A debt which was hopelessly overwhelming. And the reason why it's such good news is it's not just for the here and now, it lasts for eternity. And that is how huge this good news is. But I've noticed a very interesting phenomenon. You don't have to be in church long to realize there's a problem. And the problem is this. We get used to this good news. We're used to it. And after a while, it seems like, oh yeah, I already knew that. Could you tell me something I don't even know yet? And we depreciate the good news. So rather than appreciating this wonder of mercy that changes everything, we get used to it. And there's an old, familiar, uh, uh, an old axiom that says, familiarity breeds contempt. And we depreciate it because we're so used to it. Now, friends, forgiveness is not merely a theological fact. It is a personal gift from the God who created everything directly to you. God wants to forgive me. Once. He wasn't forced into it. He chose to do it because of his love. And one of the ways to feel forgiven... Because some of you know it's a theological fact, but the trouble is you don't feel forgiven. 
one of the ways to feel forgiven is to actually have a fresh understanding by God's Spirit of how God forgives you. And he wants to forgive you. And he doesn't have to, but he chose to. The Bible says here in Nehemiah 9.17, You are a God of forgiveness. Always ready. Always ready to what? Pardon. Uh, to pardon. To be gracious and merciful. You are slow to anger. Here it is. And full of love and mercy. That, friends, accurately describes God's character. Notice, he is full of love and he is full of mercy. Notice he's always ready to forgive. He's not kind of reluctant. Wow, I suppose so. If you ask me the 23rd time, then I will forgive you. He's not reluctant. He's not begrudging in the giving of that forgiveness. Micah 7, 18 says this. You do not stay angry forever, but what's the next word? But you delight. It's a joy. It is a joy to forgive and to show mercy. That is the attitude God has to us. God wants to forgive and he delights in showing his unfailing love. Now when you get started getting hold of that, you start to feel what it means to be forgiven. It's not just a fact and it'll start to drop from your head down into your heart. The second truth is God freely forgives me. He freely. What that means is there's absolutely no way it is impossible to earn that forgiveness. It's a free gift. The Bible says this clearly, again, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All of us have sinned. Now, all of us in this room have experienced that part of the verse. Every one of us. Here's how that works. Let me give you a quick pricey on that one. You can talk to anybody about this, even at work, when it comes the right time. You ask them, like I have done, do you think heaven is a perfect place? And if they'll work with you for a second, most of them will say, yes, I do. Yeah, I think it is. And then you ask them something ne the next question. Is, are you perfect? And the answer, of course, if they're honest, is no. Well, there's an immediate problem. It doesn't reconcile. Then you can move to the third step, how you, how you meet that deficit. Because if, of course, an imperfect person went to a perfect place, heaven would no longer be perfect anymore. That's a problem. How is that resolved? To the death of Jesus. All of us have sinned, yet now declares us not guilty of offending him, offending him, if, and there's an if word, don't forget that, if it is conditional. If, in this sense, we trust in Jesus Christ who freely takes away our sins. So God's forgiveness is greater than any sin. It is greater than any past. And this verse right there reminds us that you can never earn or deserve God's forgiveness. It is a totally free gift of God's mercy. Now, be careful here. Just because it is free doesn't mean to say it is cheap. It's not. It costs God everything. Jesus died on the cross in order to pay that debt of the, that, that he can then give us that wonderful gift of mercy. He paid the price that we could never, ever have paid. And that, friends, is what the cross is all about. The third truth is about, the, about God's mercy is God immediately forgives me. The Bible says God is merciful and he's quick to forgive. 
That's how he forgives. He doesn't drag it out and say, well, well, you've suffered for three or four months. I'll eventually forgive you. He doesn't say that. That's not what the... See, people have got these wrong concepts in their head. Your code needs to be upgraded, a firmware upgrade. This is what the Bible says. So take out the lies, the myths, and the apprehensions you have, and look at what God's word says. The Bible says God is merciful, and he is quick to forgive. Quick. So the Bible tells us plainly what he's like. Merciful and quick to forgive. Then, the more like him you become, the quicker you will be to forgive and to show mercy quickly. The more like him you are, the more like him the Spirit is making you into. Truth number four. God completely forgives me. See, God forgave all our sins. That is all-encompassing. He cancelled the record that contains the charges against us. See, this thing called sin, we think, oh, I did it, and nobody remembers. Actually, we will give an account. There's an accounting, an exacting, a reconciliation that needs to happen here. He cancelled the record that contained the charges against us. It's like a mortgage document. My one was very thick. (laughs) All the things that I have transgressed. And he took that record, and the Bible says here, he took it and he destroyed it. He shredded it, completely destroying it. By how did he do it? By nailing it to Christ's cross. So behind Christ on the cross was your certificate of debt. That's how it works. Now look at that. He destroyed the record. It's completely annulled as if it never had happened. Now that is amazingly good news And it's amazing mercy and forgiveness. Now take note of this next sentence. Christ's death was sufficient for all, but only efficient for those who believe. I didn't put that in your outline. It is sufficient for all, but only efficient for those who believe. So what that means, real clear, So there is no forgiveness for those who attempt to pay for their own debt, for their own sins. They'll never make it. On the other hand, the Bible says if we confess our sins, this is a very, very important verse and should be one verse of all the verses that you memorize, this should be in the top five. 1 John 1, 9. If, again there's a condition, if we confess our sins, he is just and faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to second thing and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that is such a good verse if you feel condemned or continually guilty take that verse take out the and you're a Christian if you've asked Jesus to come into your life you take out the other doubts and you drown them out with this you are renewed by the, um, you are changed by the renewing of your mind, the Bible says. And what I like to do is take out the things that are confusing to me and put in clean code, which is uncorrupted, which is the word of God, like this, and I memorize it. If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all, I like that word, all unrighteousness. So let me ask you, If God has forgiven you, shouldn't you forgive yourself? 
If God has completely destroyed the record of wrongs against you, shouldn't you recognize the grace of forgiveness and be excited for that? Again, the Bible says another great verse in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now, many folks want to stop right there and say, oh, it's so nice that God forgives me. I'm so thankful for that. That's wonderful news. We're all feeling pretty good. We can see how he's done that. But there's a second part of that truth that we now need to take a close look at. Because mercy not only means that I recognize that, uh, that God has forgiven me, but number two, God, I need to recognize that mercy means that I forgive others. I need to forgive others. And I want to talk about that for a few moments as to how God will help us to forgive. Now, most people struggle in this area of forgiveness for three reasons. Number one, they haven't been forgiven themselves. So if I haven't been forgiven, I don't have anything to give you. If I haven't been forgiven by God, I cannot forgive you the way that God fully intends. Secondly, and this is often the case for Christians, is I don't feel forgiven. And if I don't feel forgiven, guess what? I don't feel like forgiving you. And that's why we talked about God forgiving us first. That's why we've been talking about sensing God's forgiveness in our own lives first. Because when I have that sense of his forgiveness, then I'm more able to share that with others. And the third reason why a lot of people are not quick to forgive is there's a massive misunderstanding. There's corrupted code in your head, corrupted code, about what true biblical forgiveness is. There's a lot of open myths that have nothing to do with biblical forgiveness. So right there on your outline, I just want you to take a look at those. There's four quick questions. And I want you to write true or false for each one. Number one, a person should not be forgiven until he or she asks for it. True or false? Circle the right one. Number two, you haven't really forgiven until you've forgotten the offense. True or false? Write it down, circle it, commit yourself to paper. Number three, forgiveness includes minimizing the offense and the pain caused. True or false? Fourth, forgiveness includes restoring trust and reuniting the relationship. True or false? Have we all got something written on paper? Okay, I'm glad to see that. So if you read through the Gospels and read what Jesus said about forgiveness, you would clearly come to the conclusion that all of these statements are false. So let's have a little quick look at some background for this. What does the Bible teach about forgiveness? Number one, forgiveness is not conditional is not conditional in other words it's not based on some kind of condition in fact the bible says the exact opposite it, the bible says that real forgiveness genuine forgiveness is unconditional and it is not something that you earn or even deserve it's not something you get as part of a bargain if you promise never to do it again that's got nothing to do with it because guess what you'll probably do it again that's no good. It is unconditional. 
When you tell a person, I will forgive you if, that is not forgiveness. Let me be clear about this. Remember, we're clearing up myths. I'm going to get to how this works in a minute. Because you're bargaining, not forgiving. That's what you're doing. When you say, I will do this if you do this. If you don't do this, I won't do that. Genuine forgiveness is unconditional. It can be offered even if it is not asked for. Remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross for your sin and my sin. What did he pray? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. At that point, nobody had asked for forgiveness. But notice Jesus' attitude. It was an unconditional offer of pardon. Father, forgive them. That was the offer. The offer. For they do not know what they do. Therefore, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another quickly again and as thoroughly as Christ, as God and Christ forgave you. And as thoroughly, as quickly and thoroughly. Truth number two. Forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. That's the truth. Some people have got this crazy idea, I could never forgive because I can't forget. Well, hang on, that's not what the Bible says. So let's get the, the, the facts straight. Look at this one. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will, the Lord, who? The Lord will repay him for what he has done. And he says to Timothy, you too shall be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. So Alexander was well known to Timothy. You can go read about him. And he'd done a great deal of harm to Paul by opposing Paul's message. But notice something here. Notice the attitudes going on here. We can learn a lot from this. The apostle Paul had no desire for personal vengeance. None. How do I know that? Because it's evidenced by the reference he's making here to Psalm 62 verse 12. You may want to write out the psalm that's side there, Psalm 62 12, which is exactly what he's quoting, which says, the Lord will repay him for what he has done. He's quoting that. So even though Paul had given up his right for revenge, we can clearly see that from the verse, he had not forgotten the damage Alexander had caused to him and the cause of the kingdom. And he warned Timothy to be on his guard against Alexander and not to get into a confrontation with the guy. Now some of you even here today are thinking that the ultimate Christian maturity is when I forget the painful things in your life that other people may have done to you. That's not true. The truth is, you may never forget them. You may never. But be encouraged, right? Paul was encouraging Timothy. Even if you're a Christian, you can realize that the sovereign mercy of God is always working in your life. And in Romans 8, 28, he can use all things together for good. Doesn't mean to say all things are good. Some things are shocking. Huh? You remember Joseph? You guys meant this for evil, but God used it for good. Even harsh things. And remember and think about how God can bring good out of bad. 
how he can grow your character in perseverance and patience and self-control and long-suffering. Especially I found in my life, when I've been crushed and hurt, I've become more sensitive, maybe you found this too, to other people who are in the similar wicket, who are in pain. You, you somehow draw a deeper sense of empathy. Huh? It can change the direction in the crucial point in your life. And then you can really thank God and praise God for what he's brought you through. I remember going through that situation with my dad so many years ago. It didn't make a shred of sense. But God used it absolutely for good. When I look back now, in my life, in my mother's life, in my brother's life, God used a terrible, horrible, ugly situation for good. So forgiveness is not forgetting. Because you never will probably forget. I don't forget. But it does get less. I don't forget. Truth number three. Forgiveness isn't minimizing the seriousness of the offense. Real forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. It's not saying, ah, well, it's no big deal, you know, under the carpet. It didn't really hurt, so don't worry about it. That is not forgiveness. That's actually denial. The truth is, if it's worth forgiving, it probably did hurt you. And it did cause you pain. And you don't need to minimize that because that is not part of forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, yes, it did hurt. But, and yes, it did cause me pain in my life. I'm not going to minimize it, but I am going to let it go. I'm not going to hold it against you. Which means I'm just relinquishing my right to get even with you. Oh, I'd like to, but I'm not going to. I'm leaving that in God's hands. Just like Paul said, he gave the issue to the Lord. So that's the heart of genuine mercy and forgiveness. And this is this. I relinquish my right to get even. Romans 12, 19 says this, and it's very instructive of how we are to behave. Again, take this piece of code and may it renew your mind. God says, never avenge yourself. Leave that to God. That is very hard for some of you sitting in this room who are competitive. Very hard. Because you want to get even. Right? But God says, don't do that. Never avenge yourself. Leave that literally to God. For he has said that he will repay those who deserve that. Leave that in his hands. And truth number four. Forgiveness is not automatically resuming a relationship without change. Some people think, oh, if I forgive, I just go to go back. No, you do not. That is unbiblical. Forgiveness is not the same thing as rebuilding or restoring a relationship. Now, let me make the differentiation as clearly as I can now in a sentence. Forgiveness is instant, but trust has to be rebuilt over time. You can apply this to your marriage. You can apply this to your teenage, your parenting. You can forgive, but trust has to be rebuilt over time. You can apply this to an employee. You apply this to however you want. Forgiveness is instant, but trust has to be rebuilt. And there's a big difference between forgiving a person and trusting them again. It takes more than forgiveness for reconciliation of a relationship. 
If you want to have a restored relationship with someone, first comes forgiveness. That's your part because you have been hurt, right? That's the first part. But, their, but then on their part, there are three things that need to happen on their part. Number one is they need to have and show some sense of repentance. That means demonstrating genuine change of mind first, which will then demonstrate itself in behavior. That's what the word means, repentance, metanoia. That's where it comes from the Greek. It means a change of mind, which eventually, the way we think affects the way we feel, which eventually affects the way we act. So their part takes two things. One, repentance. Two, restitution. And some of you, that is absolutely necessary. Restitution. If they are really sorry, they will do something about it. And that has different applications, of course, according to the context you're in. And then thirdly, there's a rebuilding of trust. Friends, it takes time to rebuild trust. I have a saying in my family, it says, one swallow doesn't make a summer. You need to see some evidence. Now, in a relationship that's been damaged or harmed, if you've been hurt, forgiveness is the part that you do, but they have to show that repentance and restoration is taking place. For example, speaking from experience within my own extended family, if you've been married to an alcoholic or an abusive spouse and they hurt you, which they tend to do repeatedly over and over again, and that person comes home and says, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Your response should be, if they say that, yes, I forgive you because God commands. And forgiveness is what? Instant or it takes a long time? Instant. But if they say now, will you take me back in the house? That's a very different issue. That's a very different issue. We need to have some progress shown here first. Perhaps you need to get some counseling. Perhaps you need to get a job. Perhaps you need to show me not only that you get a job, but that you can stay there for a period of time and you can save some money. That needs to be possibly there. In other words, to develop some track record to show that there's genuine change. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when people hurt you, and especially people with addictions, they're good at pretending. And they'll do anything to get rid of the pain at that time. But the Bible tells us to be careful. So while forgiveness is based on grace, trust is earned. Did you get that? Whilst forgiveness is based on grace, trust is earned. And there's a huge difference. That will clear up a lot of misconceptions in some of your minds. If somebody offends you over and over in the same way and continues to hurt you, you are called, because how many times? How many times should I forgive, Lord? What was the answer? Pardon? 70 times 7. That's what, that explains that. But you are not obligated to instantly trust them and act like everything's fine. You're not obligated to have them come home so things can go on as they have in the past. What I'm saying is forgiveness is not resuming a, a relationship without change. Change is the evidence. 
of a, an outward evidence of something that's gone on in the heart. Last verse I want to just focus on. This is a command, again. Again, to make sure we've got the right, clear message from God in our heads. He says, remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So you must forgive others. Some of you in this room have been Christians for a while. And you've gotten yourself into a pattern of thinking which needs to change. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's some verses today on that outline which will help you if you are stuck in a, in a situation where you don't feel you have the strength to forgive. As a personal testimony, I want to suggest to you there's a brilliant verse that again has been very helpful to me. Very short. It says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The more joy you have of the Lord in your heart, the more strength you will have to move forward and to forgive. You'll be filled up with the joy of the Lord. And therefore you've got enough to overflow and to forgive others. If you are lacking and you find you don't have that strength in you at the moment, even though you know the right thing to do, the focal point is back to the Lord. The more you're closer to him, enthusiasm comes from the Greek word in theos, in him. The more in God you are, the more enthusiasm and the more joy you will have and the more strength you'll have because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Does that make sense? That way you've got the strength to do that. I want us to pray a prayer for forgiveness and I'd like us to just bow now and would you follow me? I'm just going to spend a few moments praying a prayer of liberation, a prayer of freedom, and a prayer that can change your life, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some of you have wondered, I thought I'd forgiven that person in the past. Why am I still hurting? Friend, you've got to keep on forgiving those people until that pain goes away. Would you pray this prayer in your heart? Would you say, dear Jesus Christ, you know that I've been hurt by others. You know that my resentment has made me act in ways that have been unreasonable, prickly, and unhelpful. And very unhealthy, actually. Father, I need your power to release and to forgive those who have hurt me so that I can stop letting them control me and getting me into a bad mood. Would you please replace my hurt with the peace of Jesus Christ? And God, I realize that I've hurt a lot of other people with my habits and my bad decisions and my attitudes. Would you please forgive me for the way that I have hurt other people? Father, would you help me make a list of those who have harmed and in the right way and the right time to humbly make amends? Jesus, I want to refocus my life on you. I want to face my future courageously with love and with your peace in my heart. Would you please replace my love 
my, my, my heart with your love? Would you replace my resentment with your love and your peace especially, Lord? And my bitterness with your grace. Thank you for your mercy towards me, which is so deep. Thank you for forgiving me for the things that I've done wrong. So today, if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, why don't you ask him now and say, Jesus, would you please come into my life and fill me with your love and guide me from this day forward. I put my trust in you. I pray this in your powerful name. And everybody said, Amen.